And it is 100% probably to a fault part of my identity. Like I am the cheddar up lady. It is my third child. I love it so much. And I spend so much time on it, but no, like it's, we're going to get it to where it can go. And then we're going to let it spread its wings. Welcome to Fascinating Entrepreneurs. How do people end up becoming an entrepreneur? How do they scale and grow their businesses? How do they plan for profit? Are they in it for life or are they building to exit? These and a myriad of other topics will be discussed to pull back the veil on the wizardry of successful and fascinating entrepreneurs. I've written a book. A memoir that starts with my challenging upbringing with all the twists and turns and inflection points, including saving my company due to the pandemic. It will be published this year. So please go to natashamiller.co and sign up on my mailing list so you're the first to know when it's available. In this episode, we talked to Nicole Montoya, who has created a tool for associations and group organizers to collect payment and information seamlessly on a digital platform. This is saving PTAs, Girl Scout groups, and HOAs a lot of headaches and confusion when it comes to payments. Now let's get right into it. Even in college, I've been sort of an idea person. So it's not like it was surprising when I wanted to solve the problem that my company solves, which is Cheddar Up. And that wasn't a surprise to me, but it was a surprise is just how intensely I felt like I needed to solve the problem that my company solves. Like it was just like, I can't keep doing what I'm doing. Like this problem must be solved. And so, I mean, I went to college and started in management consulting. And so I had sort of at least 10 years of experience doing things in business, helping other businesses, but I hadn't really built my own business, but I love creating things and solving problems. So I'm sure that's probably a very common theme amongst entrepreneurs. And this is just a problem. So I was working for management consulting for the first big chunk of my pre-cheddar up career, and then had went out on my own to work for a financial technology firm. And so my brain was on FinTech. At the same time, I had two little kids who were doing their thing in school. And I was trying to manage it all, like all working moms. And I was, so doing my work side. And then there was this issue that came up in sort of my personal side, which sort of related to my kids. I was just filling out a lot of paper forms and writing a lot of checks and driving them across town. And I thought that was super silly. So I was sort of making that mental note of like, this is ridiculous. Why hasn't someone figured this out? And then I was also sort of, You know, I had my aha moment, I'll say, when I was talking to a girlfriend on the phone and we were like, what should we do for the teacher? It's, you know, it's end of May. We got to like get her something. And we were just going to do something, the two of us. And for a split second, I was like, oh, in my head, I didn't even verbalize it. I was like, should we ask these other people? And then I immediately shut it down because I was like, that sounds like a pain collecting that money. And are they going to pay me? I'm going to put their name down, but they're not going to pay me and tracking it. All those things spun through my head. And then when I got off the phone with her, I was like, it's just such a common problem. And so it was sort of like the chaos of all the paper I'd been filling out lately. And that little aha moment, I was like, gosh, why isn't there like this really friendly, easy to use tool, sort of like Evite, but that's really payment forward. And then I was just like, I can't, I can't, that needs to be solved. Like it does not exist. There were some funny little companies that were trying to solve the 
hey, we're go- all going on a bachelor party, let's chip in kind of issue. But that wasn't what I was trying to solve. It wasn't that simple. It was like, how do I get rid of the paper form and the payment piece and sort of smash it into one super simple, flexible platform? Anyways, and that was like the aha moment and a million things happened after that. It wasn't quite as simple or straightforward as I was anticipating. Yeah. (laughs) And before that, you had a children's clothing company, correct? I did. Yeah, I did. So that was that your first entrepreneurial endeavor? It was. It's funny how you go or I went through these life experiences, right? I was working downtown in Chicago, doing the right out of college, working for a big company thing. That was an experience. I didn't have any epiphanies. I was so, I didn't know what up from down then. So I was just learning, learning, learning. And then transition to that early motherhood phase when you're just confronted with all these other problems. I think I knew at that time and saw so many really cool kid-related entrepreneurs at that time because all these humans were in this new phase of life and confronting all these problems, me being one of them. And that was with my sister. That was like just dipping my toe into what is it like to want to create something, create a brand and try to go mass produce market and sales. And that was a sort of a sensory focused kind of cheeky, if that's even a word, baby blanket accessory company. And it was really fun. It was fun because I got to do it with my sister, but it was fun because I was sort of doing consulting part-time and that was sort of a creative outlet for me. And then 2008, the economy fell out and I was like, okay, cool. High-end baby is not a thing. People are just trying to pay their bills. So we sort of shut that down and then I started to consult more. But yeah, there was a big gap in between there, but that was definitely a learning experience. And it was really hard. I mean, we were basically doing retail then. I noticed I didn't go back to retail when I started Cheddar Up. I was like, that's tough. Using a thing, basically sort of semi almost in apparel. So with Cheddar Up, and I love the name, I don't know if everyone will draw the parallel, but like young, young people probably wouldn't necessarily get it. What do you think? The name Cheddar yeah. Up. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We get that question all the time. Like why Cheddar Up? And I don't know. Like I actually think maybe younger people get it more so because I'm super not hip or cool at all. Like there's a funny story behind the name and my co-founder and I were like, I had this idea. We're going to solve it, but we need a name. Right. And my co-founder is the creative brains behind the brand. And so she needed something to like brand. And we had all these funny names and my husband, who's a little bit older than me, is the one who thought of it. When he said it, I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. He must be around 50, right? He's actually even older than that. Yeah, because I remember when I was growing up in Des Moines, Iowa, my grandmother's boyfriend at the time would refer to money as cabbage and cheddar is sort of the same thing. So yeah, there are so many funny slang words for money when you actually go study it, which is what we were doing at the time. But at that time, when he said cheddar up, I thought he was crazy. And he's like, no, 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 it means money. He's like, no, let's ask Ruben, who was our nephew who, were, who lived downtown Denver. And he's really cool and hip. And we got him on the phone and he's like, hey, Ruben, if I say cheddar, what do you think of? And the first word out of his mouth was money. It wasn't like, do you mean sharp or mild? It was like, it was like money. And I was blown away. And we, Molly and I liked it because... We're like, oh, it's just sort of fun and playful. It's sort of taking this awkward task of collecting payments and information from lots of people and sort of spinning it on its head and, and making it sort of fun and playful as opposed to like annoying and arduous. So. so you talked a little bit about why you started Cheddar Up. 
which is great. And in that conversation we had just a little bit ago, you talked about some things that I'm assuming are the differentiator between your product and a competitor's. What is the number one biggest differentiator between you and your biggest competitor right now? Yeah, I would say by and far the biggest differentiator is that we are really focused on solving collecting from groups. So if you need to pay your girlfriend for that glass of wine when you forgot your wallet or pay your dog sitter or the tutor or whomever, like a Venmo or a Zelle is really good, right? That's one-to-one. It's peer-to-peer money from point A to point B. And what we do, and we've really remained committed to is like, if you've got eight, 10, 20, a hundred, a thousand, a whole community of people who you need to collect payments from and to take it a step further, if you need to collect payments and information, which is usually the case when you're dealing with a group, then Cheddar Up is such a slam dunk because we find it's not usually when you're just like, here's 10 bucks. It's usually like, here's 10 bucks. And my child's name is Sally and her t-shirt size is small. and she has an allergy and we need to sign the waiver or what have you, or recurring payments. Or, and so our challenge is as we really honed in on groups and studied what does a group need to collect payments and information. One, we figured out real quickly, it was information, but we really just honed in on what are those features? And we know that people need to pay without downloading an app, for example, right? If I'm going to send something out to collect from 200 people, expecting them all to have the Venmo app, maybe they do, but it's not very realistic and it's a pretty big friction point. So there's all these sort of nuances in how we've built features that make it really simple and appropriate for groups. We've also made it super flexible, not to dig into the product, but like all these things, like it's funny. I love to look every day and see all the different thousands of ways people have popped on and are using the platform. And it's just so varied, right? Someone might be using it for school tuition. Someone else might be using it to sell direct sales samples. Like it's sort of a crack up, but that's sort of a testament to our constant focus to keep it easy and keep it flexible. Yeah. So you are back into the fintech world and I'm assuming this is a SaaS company. Let's see, business to business, business to consumer as well, right? That's such a great question. It's really, we are SaaS, but we also make money on payments. So we have sort of a classic freemium model, right? You can stay on our free plan forever and we still will make money on the free folks because we we're a payment company and that's great. And then we are SaaS and that you can sign up if you need extra features that are in a paid plan, you can jump into one of those, but actually we're a little bit more B2C than anything. And sometimes we're B2B2C. Turns out that is a thing. Like we have a lot of partners, like actually you're in San Francisco. One of our big partners is the Girl Scouts of Northern California, and we partner with Girl Scout councils all over the country. And that's sort of a B2B. And then they push it down to their C, right? Their C is the troop leader. And so that's one of our channels. But every day, lots and lots of consumers, organizers of the world just find our platform and they're off to the races. It sounds great. You have exactly the niche down of your audience. So sales should be really streamlined, I would say. You're not going to go beating down the doors of someone that wouldn't use it. So at this point, I would love for you to talk to the listeners about how you build a fintech or SaaS company. I mean, the platform, how do you find the developers? 
Can you walk us through that a bit? So if someone's listening, they have this great idea, it involves creating a platform. What are the steps you take? Gosh, this is going to be tricky. I might flounder a little bit because I floundered a bit when I actually did it. So I'm a non-technical tech founder. So that never is the best. I think it might be a little bit easier if you are technical, but it's certainly doable. Our process was definitely not direct, but we got really clear on the problem that we were solving and we had to raise capital. And so that whole capital raising process helps you get clear. (laughs) The investors make sure that you are clear or they won't give you any money. But we certainly didn't go in and find money right away. We got really clear on what problem are we solving? What does that look like? We knew we had to build something to get in people's hands to see if we were onto something. And that's what we did. Spent a lot of my own money just on a prayer, really feeling like it was going to be worth it. But you know, what are you spending money on, right? Engineers is what we were spending money on. And so finding engineers, I think finding technical talent is probably something that every founder struggles with, or maybe every company, maybe every big established company. How do you source and qualify them? Where do you start? Yeah, I think having an advisor who is technical is a really good idea. I didn't have that right away, but I very quickly did after I made a couple missteps. Someone that you can lean on, who can help you interview these folks. You're not going to know who you're even looking for until you have some insight or plans in terms of what are you building it in? What language? What does it look like? Is it mobile? Is it web? Is it both? Those are different people. I'm a bit scrappy. And I think a little scrap is helpful when you're starting with no funding and trying to figure something out that maybe you don't know how to do. And so I was like looking at all the good dev shops. At that time, it was Pivotal Labs. They were like everywhere. And they had a big presence in Denver. And I was like, okay, who works for Pivotal Labs? They've already vetted that engineer. And now I'm going to go knock on their door on LinkedIn and see if they want to do like some moonlighting for this really cool startup. And that worked for me. I mean, actually, yeah, that worked for me. And were Um, you having these conversations? Were you being guided by an advisor? Did your co-founder help? Who had that technical jargon to convey what you needed to do? It was very, very initially, I did not bring on an advisor. I was like, I need an engineer. And that didn't work out. That was like, you know, maybe I'm going to hire anyone who I know. And that was like for 10 minutes, I realized that wasn't going to work. Then I went this LinkedIn sort of, route. And then I had an advisor who was like, once I sort of thought I had someone maybe interested, they helped me sort of interview them for their technical skills. So if you were doing it right now, or you were telling someone how to do it, what advice would you give them? Where would you say they should start? If you're not a technical person, it's really great to have a co-founder, no matter what, whether they're technical or not. I would not be here where I am today without my co-founder because she keeps me sane and brings so much talent to the table. I think it's really hard to start a company alone. You just need like a sounding board. So and I would a lot say, of people think it's really hard to be in a partnership. I mean, I can't yeah, tell you how yeah. many people have really had challenges with that. So how long have you guys been in business together? Since the beginning and Cheddar Up has been around for about six or seven years. And we were friends before that. And that is sort of a luck of the draw kind of thing. I know I sort of intentionally pulled myself out of startup ecosystem a number of years ago because it was just too much. (laughs) But I remember when I was in it, we did accelerators and whatnot. And I spent a lot of time in San Francisco. 
I remember there was this one thing called like speed dating for co-founders. It was the most hilarious thing. Like I did not understand it. I was like, what? Because I had a co-founder and she was like a dear, dear friend. And I couldn't imagine just like speed dating and finding some human randomly who you might want to build a business with and spend a million hours with blood, sweat and tears. But I think it worked for some people, but I just bring that up because people do realize, oh, this is hard to do alone. On the flip side, to your point, it can go really well or it can go not really well. So I think vetting that human, putting some things in place that allow you to unwind something if it's not the right human, those things are all really important. And today is the team that you've built now taking on the responsibilities of all the things that you need to do to run a business, right? You have to hire, I'm assuming at this point, not only do you have a bookkeeper, accountant, you probably have a controller, a CFO. Yeah, we have lots of humans now. It was super hard in the beginning. I mean, not lots of humans. We're still a smallish team, but we've got someone in charge of tech. We've got someone in charge of finance and someone in charge of onboarding employees, all those things. And I still am really involved in product because I have a hard time letting it go. It's so, you know, it's who we are. So I work closely with and day-to-day contact with engineers and stuff, but they're just telling me what they're doing. I'm not having to direct them. They're just keeping me posted. So everyone, yeah, the team is so much fun. Actually, when you start in the trenches and you get to slowly come out for me, I get to spend time on other things like strategic things. And it's such a relief. And it makes me super grateful for my team because I know what they're doing. A lot of what they're doing is what I used to be doing, like not the coding. How many full-time employees do you have at this time? Full-time we have eight. And then we've got like probably a similar number of contractors. Sure. So fast forwarding to present day, no matter how successful you are in your business, every business owner is going through figuring out a challenge. What is that one challenge right now for you? Yeah, I think the challenge is we grow a lot every year. And a lot of that growth is a result of word of mouth because we're a group payment platform. I send it out to my PTA, 300 new humans know about it. Oh, this is really cool. And that's great. It can make you a little less sharp on the marketing front. We're really focused on a number of things this year. But now that the world is looking a bit more normal, we're really focused on getting clear on what the marketing strategies are that we can affect, dump more money into and get a certain result so that basing it more on data and doing more experiments. It's something I've done a fair amount of marketing in my past. And just as of recently, I've realized I need to let this go. Like there are humans who can do this way better than me. And so we're trying to find the right talent now. We've brought and do you outsource for digital marketing or sales funnels or anything like that? Yeah, we do outsource for digital marketing. We don't use an agency, but we use a human who is really good. And we've gone through a number of humans and agencies. We've done different things at different times. I found that as equally as challenging as hiring engineers. I agree. I think this is great because everyone listening, they have their own challenge and whatever it is, sometimes people feel very alone. But Mm -hmm. I was asking you about the challenge of hiring people outside of what you're really good at engineering and not knowing the language, but figuring out digital marketing and figuring out all the spokes on the wheel that aren't in your wheelhouse. One of the things is trial and error. You have to be able to be willing to 
take a chance on someone. If it doesn't work out, try to make it work out. If it doesn't work out, then pull back Mm -hmm. and re-engage with someone else Mm -hmm. and not be afraid of continuing on that. And then one day you find the perfect fit. And that's amazing until that perfect fit decides to change their life and leave for whatever reason. So, so no, that's so true. And it's hard for me to not waste money, but I'm sort of a frugal spender. And I'm like, it's always like, okay, got to give this person a chance. It's a constant inner dialogue that I have and, or beating myself up mentally. Like, Oh, I hired the wrong person again. Like I can't get this right. You know, I, that thing happens, but then I get myself out of that. And then yeah, hiring is a skill and art and science that in the 20 years that I've been in business, I'm an expert at doing it a lot. <laughs> sometimes I land like the most incredible win and sometimes I don't. And I think it's too multi-layered and too complicated for someone like us to do at the very highest level. And that's why some corporations have people that are just very, that is what they do. That's what they focus on. They're either using the top grading or the who method or something like that. And they really know how to distill and source and qualify the right people. But that is a skill set that is not really present in smaller businesses. And it's really expensive to outsource. So thinking back to the beginning of this year, as we were coming out of the pandemic and you were really focusing on what you're going to do this year to scale and grow, is there one major strategy that you are focusing on this year? For growth? Yes. No is the short answer. However, we're investing resources in digital marketing and content. If I had to say, and we've got a lot of scrappy methods that we always do that we're investing in more heavily because the world is normalizing and everyone's trying to move online. So we're doing all those things, but we are, I would say I and my marketing folks are making a concerted effort to be like, we've got all these humans, we get to talk to them. Let's focus on content and let's see if we can get digital right. (laughs) Give it another role. And are you focusing on Google or Bing ads or social media or both? I would say Google and social, you know, it's display, retargeting. Facebook. Our users are on Facebook big time. So, right. So the last question that I have for you is when you started Cheddar and you knew it was a viable product, did you have an exit in mind? Are you building to sell or are you building to have a legacy brand that your kids and your co-founders kids will take over? Did that come to mind or has it come to mind yet? Yeah, it has. It did from the very beginning, if I'm really honest. It was like, I want to build this really great thing and solve this really great problem and sell it to someone and make it all worth it. (laughs) Like that's the short version. So yeah, I think that is the plan. I don't think I'll do this forever, but I want to get it to a point where it's sort of a household name and everyone knows oh, we'll just use Cheddar App because it's a group thing. Right. I bet with the clothing company, you didn't start that with your sister thinking we're going to make this into this incredible thing and we're going to sell it. Someone's going to buy it and we're going to exit. Yeah, not at all. We were having fun then. It was like, this is fun and this seems like it's fun to create and let's give it a whirl. I was quite a bit younger then. You know, I was just like, well, I don't know. I just, I didn't even think it through that much. I also had babies. So it was just a whole different time of life. and. Yeah, no, I mean, a lot has been put into this. You know, I have investors, 
I spent months away from my kids for it. Like it's just a lot has been not to get all weird, but I've given up a lot for this. So it needs to turn into something. It needs to be worth it. (laughs) So that's great. I think most entrepreneurs that start with a heart-based, like I've got to do this business, they're not thinking of an exit in mind. I know for me, it never occurred to me. In fact, I felt a little put back if somebody said, what's your exit plan? Are you going to sell? I'm like, sell? Mm -hmm. This is who I am. So I would assume with a company like yours, with investors and the SaaS model and such, it's not like that. I mean, yes, it is one of your babies. It's one of your developments, but it's a different kind of thinking. Yeah, it is. And it is 100% probably to a fault part of my identity. Like I am the cheddar up lady. It is my third child. I love it so much. And I spend so much time on it, but no, like it's, we're going to get it to where it can go. And then we're going to let it spread its wings. And, and, and do that, you think you'll become a serial entrepreneur in that you start another something after cheddar up. I've thought about that a lot. Yes, I do. I do. I think that I'm just going to take a big old break and kick my feet up, but I know that is not in my DNA. Like I'll get stir crazy in like a month. So probably. I hope you learned something about building a fintech SaaS company, even though you might not be tech savvy. If there's a will and great talent and partners, there's a way. For more information on Nicole, please go to the show notes where you're listening to this podcast. For more information about me, go to my website, natashamiller.co. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you loved the show. If you did, please subscribe. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please leave a review where you're listening to this podcast now. I'm Natasha Miller, and you've been listening to Fascinating Entrepreneurs.